Chapter Nineteen of Madge Barbara by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. When Anne Purcell returned to the music room, she found my lord waiting for her there, walking to and fro with his hands behind his back and his handsome face lined and shadowed with thought. He looked up quickly when she entered, a look full of infinite meaning as though he had felt a chill of loneliness, and was glad that this woman shared with him what the future might convey. He closed the door and casements carefully, after walking round the garden to see that no one was lurking there. Anne Purcell's face still looked white and scared. The horror of a betrayal haunted her as she went to the window-seat, where the moonlight was already glimmering upon the glass. Speak softly. I had better draw the curtains. He did so, leaning over my lady Anne, and stooping to kiss her before he drew away. Restlessness seemed in his blood, for he kept walking to and fro as they talked, pausing sometimes as though to think. Does the woman jail know anything of this? She knows everything. It was she who saved your life by tampering with the charges. She knew the girl had pistols? Yes, by watching through the hole in the wainscoting. She saw where Barbara kept them and found a key to fit the coffer. Jael seemed to have foreseen something, for tonight she found that the pistols were no longer there. My lord turned to the table where the steel barrels glistened in the candlelight. He picked them up and looked at them closely, a deep pucker of thought upon his forehead. Who would have thought that the girl had so much devil in her? I tell you, Nan, she must have been playing with us all these years, watching and waiting and pretending to be asleep. And it was a narrow thing, by God. But for that woman of yours, I should be lying there where— He did not complete the sentence, but broke off abruptly, for the conscious shock seemed to strike him more heavily now the intensity of the moment had passed. He looked white about the mouth, and his eyes had a hard, scared wrath in them that made them ugly. Anne Purcell turned on the window-seat to look at him, and then covered her face with her hand. She said that the stain is still there, and it is. Fiddle-faddle! What of that, Nan? And the evil spirit in him flashed out fiercely. The girl has cornered us. It is no time for whimpering. He recovered his serene and cynical poise almost instantly, and, putting two fingers in the pocket of his embroidered vest, drew out the curb of gold with its knot of pearls. This little thing came very near ending everything. I shall give it no second chance. Like the easy fool I am, I put that cloak away and forgot it, never suspecting that I had left such a clue behind. Jack turned it out of an old chest when he came home shirtless from sea, and wore it that night at Hortense's. It was only when we got home that I noticed the thing, and talked him into surrendering it. She must have cross-questioned him. And by the prophets of Israel, Jack was near having a bullet in his heart. She said she told him nothing. God grant that's true. Jack's a man with a tight mouth and a kind of grimness that sails straight in the face of a storm. He paused, staring hard at the flame of one of the candles, and tossing the chain up and down in his palm. What are you going to do, Stephen? Do? and his face darkened, although so close to the light. 
Keep the Spanish fury out of danger. What can you desire? She stretched out an arm to him, her face rigid with dread. No, not again, Stephen. I cannot bear it. I will not. There, there. And he laughed. How you women leap at conclusions. There is no such serious need. But I value my neck too much, and yours, my dear, to let her run at large. Then how? He looked down at her steadily. The girl is mad. Barbara? Yes, mad, poor thing, as a March hare. Mad. Drink the word in and live on it. Mad. Mad. This wild scarecrow of a suspicion is nothing but a shadow on the brain, a shadow of distortion and madness brought on by poor Lionel's death. There are some of us to swear to that, and our words carry more weight and volume than the ravings of a girl. Mrs. Jail must be worth her money. The whole affair will be very simple. Thank heaven son Jack is in the country. I can bleed him and doctor him when he returns. Anne Purcell watched him with a trace of wonder in her eyes. The man was so many-sided, such an actor, such a cynic. Then she must be treated as one gone mad, yet discreetly and gently, as though the family niceness were to be considered. No idle talking, no news about town. Yet being dangerous, even perhaps against herself, mark that, Nan, she must be put under soft restraint in some quiet corner where she can do no harm. He spoke so shrewdly, and with such a meaning between the words, that Anne Purcell again looked scared. No whips, Stephen, and all those things. I have heard— Tush, my love, am I a fool? But— He opened his arms to her, with an impulse of tenderness and strong appeal. Now, sweetheart, trust me. We have been too much to each other, you and I. Look at me, Nan. What I am, I am because you are what you are. We are on the edge of a cliff. Don't tell me that I must drag you over. He played to the woman in her, yet not without real feeling. She rose to him, and for a moment he had her in his arms. There, you understand, Nan, why I want to live. It is for your sake as well as mine, though I shall not see fifty again. We cannot help ourselves. And I tell you, the girl is mad. I have said so to others before it came to this. My lord put her gently out of his arms and led her with some majesty back to the window-seat. You must know, Nan, that this will be de prerogativa regis. That is to say, it will be the Chancellor's affair, and he is an easy man to manage. As to a private inquiry, we can probably slip by it with Christian discretion. The point is that the unfortunate subject is confined in custody under the care of her nearest friends or kinsfolk. Anne Purcell began to understand. But there may still be danger in it. No, trust me, very little. It can be done quietly. There is your place of Thorn. Thorn? Why, it is half in ruins, and no one ever goes there. "'Nan, my sweet, are you a fool?' "'No, Stephen, but the country air and food and contact with some simple couple. "'What more could the poor wench wish for? "'An old house in the deeps of Sussex, seven miles from a town. "'Why, it is made for such a case.' 
She looked at him helplessly, for her selfish worldliness had received a shock that night. "'There is no other way?' "'None, unless you wish to feel a silk rope round your neck, my dear.' They said little more that night, my lord putting on a cloak to hide his powder-blackened coat, and kissing her very kindly before he went. He gave her a few words of warning, commended Mrs. Jail to her, and spoke of the money that should be forthcoming. Barbara was to see no one but Mrs. Jail and her mother. They were to keep her locked in her room till my lord should bring a physician whom he could trust to inquire into the state of the girl's mind. Yet there was one thought that haunted Stephen Gore as he walked home alone by the light of the moon without a single torch to keep him company and scare away footpads. It was possible that the girl might turn against herself and though he tried not to hanker after the chance, he knew how it would simplify the tangle. Barbara's window stood some height from the ground, and there were no bars to it. My lord remembered these details before he went to bed. He was careful to show the man Rogers his blackened coat, and to tell him that he had been fired at by some villain, and that the ball had missed him by some mercy of God. Mrs. Jail came down from her attic next day soon after dawn, her eyes red and suffused, her bosom full of sentimental sighings. She went about the house, blubbering ostentatiously in odd corners, dabbing with her handkerchief and setting all the servants spying on her. Yet all she would say was, "'Poor dear, poor sweet. The brain is turned over in her, and so young, too.' "'I always was afeard of it. She took it so to heart. "'Oh, dear Lord, what a sad world it is, surely. "'The poor child's made me ten years older.' "'And then she would shuffle away, "'jerking her fat shoulders and trying to smother sobs, "'so that every servant in the house knew that something strange had happened, "'and were ready to hear of anything, "'and to accept it as an interesting fact.' End of chapter 19